Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray and ask his blessing upon our time. Gracious, and, uh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, uh, and we give all the glory and honor to you. Uh, Lord, uh, there is no distance for you. Uh, your eyes are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. You see all that men and women and boys and girls do. You even know the intents of our hearts. And so, Father, we pray now that you would take an unworthy vessel. If there's anything that's blocking me from being a vessel by which your spirit can operate, I pray that uh, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you would pardon and move it out of the way. Uh, let it not be held against me so that I might serve you. And, Lord, I want to pray for those who are listening right now, not only in this room, but those who are listening through uh, the media that we have available. I want to pray for them, and I want to pray for those who will listen this week and pray for those who will find this sermon uh, months from now by your divine guidance to minister to them. I want to pray for them as well right now who will be listening much later uh, in the future, that you would work uh, at all these times uh, to bring out your word, to encourage their hearts, uh, and to cause them to grow in their faith in you. We pray these things in the precious, the holy, powerful, and great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated at home. I want to start off this morning by uh, sharing with you a, 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 an excerpt from an article that was released yesterday by the Washington Post that gives us a, a, a synopsis, a summary of where we are uh, in our country today. And the, the article reads this way. It says, the United States which recorded its first confirmed case two months ago, now has more than 100,000 confirmed cases of the novel coronavirus, as reported by the state's health departments. The nation passed 10,000 cases just back on March 19th, and on Thursday of this past week, became the country with the most confirmed cases. As you know, New York City is the epicenter right now, but uh, as the Surgeon General said, uh, the number of confirmed cases are beginning to surge elsewhere. We're seeing hotspots like in Detroit, like Chicago, and like New Orleans. And he even says that probably this, this upcoming week will be worse for those places uh, as the days ahead roll out. If you've been keeping up with the news, as I'm sure you have been, just this past Friday, you realized and became aware of the fact that our government, in an effort to uh, help the U.S. economy and us as its citizens, passed a historic $2 trillion stimulus packet. The numbers are so big, they just boggle the mind. Uh, and the reason that they did this was to try to help us uh, from the effects of being crippled by COVID-19. And we find ourselves now in what we could consider as uncertain times. What will tomorrow bring? And in light of having uncertain times, as most of us, when those things began to happen, whether we interact with someone in our household or with our neighbor, there's often questions rolling around in the back of my mind. These have been some of the questions I've heard, some I've wrestled with, but let me share some of those with you. Some of those questions come up like, how long is this going to last? Will we, like Italy, have to eventually go into to lockdown where we'll be forced to stay in our homes? What will be the long-term effects of this on the U.S. economy? And, and what about jobs? Will life ever go back to being the way it was before we had this whole COVID-19 pandemic? What will my income look like in the upcoming months? When will the vaccine be ready? 
Am I infected? Is my neighbor infected? How long can I go before I am infected? How many people around me are really, truly infected? Is the grocery store really a safe place to shop? How far do I go with these sanitizing procedures? And what do I do with my kids every day now that they're home with me and I have to find activities for them? And there are probably many other questions that I have not listed that you or others around you have asked and are continuing to ask. But into the mix of this pot of questions, I want to, to add an additional question that I think for Christians is relevant. And some of you may have considered it and others may have not. But this is the question I would like to ask today. What should our Christian faith look like in these uncertain and difficult days? Well, I believe that Paul's letter to the Thessalonians gives us and points us away as he wrote to them in this, what was at that time an ancient thriving metropolis. And, and in writing them, he gives us the answer to the question that we're facing. Now, for those who are not familiar with uh, what was going on uh, in Thessalonica, let me give you a little bit of background about how this church was formed. Uh, if you were to look for that, you would find it in the book of Acts chapter 17. So Paul, after being booted out of some other cities as he was making his journey, uh, made his way to Thessalonica, and there he went to the Jewish synagogue because in Romans chapter 1, we know Paul's missionary pattern. His pattern was first to preach the gospel to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And so he would move to major metropolitan areas. He would find the local synagogue of Jews, and there he would start to unfold out of the Old Testament why Jesus was the Messiah. And his plan was followed here in that city uh, as he found the local synagogue. And it says that he spent three Sabbath days. That let us know that at least for three weeks he was reasoning in the synagogue, trying to prove from the Old Testament scriptures why Jesus was the long-awaited and expected Messiah that God had now sent in human history to change the world as it was. And they no longer needed to wait but to place their faith in him and what God had done. And as he did that, there were those who uh, responded, mostly Gentiles, uh, who came to faith in Christ. And out of that, there was the birth of this new fledgling church that Paul formed. But as it had happened in previous cities, uh, Paul did not receive a warm reception for the Jews as they saw this as a means by which he was leading others astray from the true faith in the God of Israel. And because they viewed things that way as Paul had once done himself, uh, they became hostile. Uh, the text says that they were actually jealous because uh, those God fears, those who were outside in society that were seeing him, were now placing their faith in Jesus and were now forming this new entity to which they were not happy about. And so what did they do? They did what others had done. They, they formed a mob. They turned to violence. And they even attacked the house of one of those new converts by the name of Jason. And because of their hostility and the action that they took, Paul and his missionary team, Silas and Timothy, were forced by night to escape and to leave the city and make their way to Berea. But in doing that, they left behind these new believers, this fledgling church who had just gotten started with faith in Jesus Christ. But although there was physical distance between Paul and these new spiritual children uh, that had come through his ministry work, they were not far from his heart. There was not emotional distance for Paul. Paul carried the weight of these believers in his heart. And because of his deep concern for him, Paul used the Zoom platform of his day. Uh, that was a messenger that he sent back. 
Because Paul was wondering, how are these believers uh, that have come to faith in Christ, who are just in the infancy of their faith, how are they doing in his absence now that they don't have his fatherly care, his, his uh, motherly nurturing care? And to that we find that Timothy brings news which prompts the letter that we find ourselves in. And Paul writes this letter uh, in a customary way that was uh, known in that day, the way that people wrote letters. And he started off by giving thanks to the deity, here the God of Israel and the revealed Messiah. And we see that in the very first two verses here of this chapter. Let me read to those to you again. Paul writes, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering, remembering excuse me, before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we look at these verses and we begin to read them, we notice that Paul is giving thanks to God for what he sees in the life or saw in the life of these new believers. There was evidence that the Spirit had taken up residence in them, and the way he knew that was by the fruit of the Spirit that was being displayed in their lives. Here he re refers to it as the work of faith, uh, labor of love, and steadfastness of hopes. And what we find out is we'll see in this letter that these came even in spite of difficult circumstances that this church was facing. See, it's these three Christian virtues, faith, love, and hope, that should characterize every believer in every season of life, and especially during times of crisis. Now, in the coming weeks, we'll take a look at each one of these individually, but today, we're going to simply look at the one, faith. Now, remember what faith is. For me to sum it up in a way that we can get our minds wrapped around, it is a confident trust in God that produces in our lives a loyalty to him that lasts our entire lives. In this passage of, of faith, I want to lift up three ideas or aspects about faith and share them with you to encourage you during these difficult days that we face and uncertain times in the days ahead. The days ahead. The first idea about faith that I want to, to recommend to you is this, that Christian faith in hard times looks up. Christian faith in hard times looks up. That is that Christian faith remembers who God is and what he has done for us in the midst of difficult times. Where do I draw this from? I draw this from verses 4 through 6 of chapter 1. Let me share those verses with you. Paul goes on to write after the two introductory verses, he says, for we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So Paul calls to the minds of the believers in Thessalonica, Thessalonica uh, to remember the truths of the gospel that surrounded their salvation experience. Their faith in God is rooted in God's prior activity, his divine activity of loving, lovingly choosing them, not based on their merits, but based on his sovereign, loving choice. 
The language Paul uses here is, is reminiscent of that language that Old Testament readers would be familiar with of, of, of God's choice of Israel, which was recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, where God says that he, he loves Israel and has chosen them not because they were a great people, because they were a small people, but he loved them because he loved them and because he was keeping a faithful covenant with their fathers. See, the reason that the believers in Thessalonica had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, saving faith, was because God had chose them. Now, how did Paul know that God had made selection of this group of believers in Thessalonica? Paul tells us in the text how he knew that. He says that the way that he knew that God had made loving choice of these particular believers is because the salvation message that he proclaimed to them came not just in words, that is rhetoric, but came in power. He clarifies what he means by that, here pointing directly not to human power, but to power that comes from the Holy Spirit. In other words, what Paul was saying is this, that he as a messenger and his message team, when they proclaimed the message, uh, it, it came with a force of sincere conviction that helped them to communicate it so that the message might, might be believed. And in the same way, while the Spirit was working through the messengers to communicate with conviction, at the same time, he was working on the recipients so that they, my hearts might be open to receive the message that Paul was sharing. And this was all in the circumstances that were difficult for them to accept this message. We see that in verse 6. So how does what Paul said to these believers so many years ago relate to us now in the 21st century? Is this reality, uh, that your faith experience in the Lord Jesus Christ indicates that you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, who has faith in Jesus, have also been lovingly chosen by God to be part of his family. Think back what the Apostle John wrote at the beginning of his gospel, which was much later than this letter. He writes this in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you're listening to this message today and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a child of God because God chose you. And what's interesting about that fatherly-child relationship that we see play out in the physical realm, at least with my own children and probably for those who have children or, or when your children were young, it's the reality that children naturally turn to their parents in, in troubled times to find answers to find hope, and to seek a, a sense of, of reassurance. If mom or dad says things are going to be all right, the child hopes in the word of the parent and believes that, and it, it causes them to normally to calm down. Perhaps, however, for you, though, and like myself at times, we've been turning to political and scientific figures. Perhaps we've been looking to President Trump or Governor Wolf or Dr. Anthony Fauci Dr. Deborah Burks or Dr. Jerome Adams or the CDC or the World Health Organization, among others, not just to get information, but we're looking to them to provide us hope and guidance in the midst of a time where we find ourselves unsettled. 
However, what the text seems to suggest to us that as children of God who've been chosen by him, we ought to look up and turn to God as our ultimate source to be our ultimate rock and refuge during these dark days. Remember what Jesus did in his own life when he found himself in his greatest time of need? Uh, he didn't look to the government. He looked to his heavenly father. Mark chapter 14, verse 36. And he, Jesus, said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. And so like Jesus, as followers of him who want to, to model our lives after his values, who want to follow the way that Jesus lived his life, like Jesus, we're to turn to Abba in our greatest time of need. If you're sick with the coronavirus, I would encourage you and you have faith in Jesus to turn to Abba. If you have a loved one who's sick right now with the coronavirus, turn to Abba. Uh, if you're a healthcare worker and you're on the front lines and you're afraid to go to work because you're afraid of, uh, of being contaminated yourself or, or bringing it home to your family and you're on those front lines, before you leave the house, turn to Abba. I'm reminded of my dear God brother who many years ago when I was with him, he was a police officer uh, at that time in the uh, here, um, Houston Police Department. And I remember one of the things that stuck in my mind was his daily activity. That as he put on his uniform and put on his weapon, as he got ready to leave the house every day consistently, what I watched in his life was that before he would leave, he would kneel down by his couch. He would get on his knee and he would pray for God to keep him as he went out to, to, to uh, work his shift as a police officer, knowing that as he left, there was no guarantee that he would come back home that night. But he entrusted himself daily to his heavenly father. See, there are many titles that Jesus could have chosen from the Old Testament when he taught the disciples to pray. He could have chose to call him the highest of the, the high God, the, the God who, who provides for us. He could have used any of those titles, but when he taught the disciples to pray, the word that Jesus chose was Father. Why? Because we are children of God. And the message that the text communicates to us is because God has lo lovingly chose us, allow your faith to look to your heavenly Father in this time of great need. So not only does faith cause us to look up, but the second idea is this, the Christian faith in hard times moves outward. Christian faith in hard times move outwards. Like a rock that has been thrown into a serene lake, faith just ripples outward. We see this in verses 7 through 10. Look there with me now, verses 7 through 10. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So Paul seeks to encourage the believers in Thessalonica by informing them that the news of their faith has spread beyond their major metropolitan city to the provinces of Macedonia and Achaia and to regions beyond. And what is the news that has spread about them? He tells us what the news is, that they had turned from worshiping the many idols in that capital city, 
which had no life and were false gods. And there was all types of worship, worship of Isis, Dionysus, Zeus, and all varieties of gods that were going on, Egyptian gods, Greek gods, and some from Samothrace. And, and he says, you turn from worshiping all those false gods that were lifeless to worshiping the only, here it is in the text, living and true God. The only time in the New Testament that these words are used together, drawing back our minds to some Old Testament texts, specifically Jeremiah 10, 10, and to his son, Jesus Christ. And, and notice what he says about the son. This son, unlike any other son, is the one who was sent that God raised from the dead and is coming again to rescue believers from the wrath that he's going to execute on the rest of the world who are the enemies of God at the end of human history. And we know it from uh, verse 1-6, and if you read on in chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, you'll see that these believers are experiencing or were during that time experiencing hard and difficult circumstances. Most likely they were experiencing some negative consequences because of their faith in Jesus Christ, socially, financially, and even physically. I believe that's why Paul talks in chapter 4 about the hope of the return of Christ for those believers who have died in Jesus. Yet some kind of way, the news about their turning to Jesus has spread beyond the borders of their own city. Perhaps some of those messengers who had gone on to believe went out like we see in later the book of Acts with uh, Aristarchus and with Segundus who had come from Thessalonica also were on missionary journeys. They had perhaps carried the message out as a result of their new faith in Jesus Christ. And that, that, that resonates with us. And the question becomes, how are we in these difficult days because we have faith in the living and true God making our faith known during this time? If you're married or if you have children, how are you living out your faith in front of your family members? When you communicate with coworkers, neighbors, or friends via whatever virtual platform you're using, are you encouraging them with words of faith? Are you taking the opportunity that you find now to point others to Christ? Are you inviting those who don't have a church service, like I've heard some of the members I've talked to this week, using this opportunity to gather those who don't have a church family to, to Facebook watch parties and inviting them to our service so that they can hear the word of God because they don't have a place to go on Sundays? Are you praying for your non-believing family members during this time, your neighbors and coworkers? Or are you praying with those and for those who are in leadership to have wisdom for God? Or are you seeking to bless others or have you just become consumed with only caring about and looking out for yourself? How is your faith rippling outward toward those around you? Edmund Chan, who is a, a pastor in uh, Singapore, a pastor or, or lead mentor there at Covenant Evangelical Free Church, uh, in writing an article from where things are going on in Singapore to speak to the church in the West, said this, the world has a virus infection that is far greater than all the viruses we've ever known throughout its history. That virus is sin. And with this virus, there is absolute no immunity, no survivors, and no hope. And it infects 100% of humanity. No one is spared from this. The world is in need of a savior. The world is in need of salvation. The article goes on to say that headlines that regularly ratchet up the local and global death counts are daily reminders of our mortality. 
forcing everyone in the world to look beyond, just as Mike Bongo prayed earlier, the routines of life to consider what lies beyond. See, what we may not consider is that God is orchestrating these circumstances that are happening in the world to slow us down, to consider some of the bigger questions of life that we're so often distracted from by the running the rat race of life to open a door so that the gospel might be shared and that which is of greatest importance might be considered. David Ohm, senior pastor of Antioch Baptist Church in Cambridge, Massachusetts, said this as he shared a story with pastors to let us know that God is at work in these circumstances. He says, Dear fellow pastor, I witnessed God working when the coronavirus epidemic caused the cancellation of an annual three-church spring retreat, retreat. A young seeker from Wuhan who didn't have time to attend the retreat could now hear the gospel messages by live stream. At first, she was upset that the world blamed her city for the pandemic. But after she made a decision for Christ, we all realized how God somehow used the virus to lead her to eternal life. Even in the midst of all the chaos, even in the midst of all the uncertainty, even in the midst of all the distress, even in the midst of all the fear, though we may not see it, God is still working. Once again, let me remind you of the greatest example of we have of what it looks like when faith moves outward. Jesus himself, right before the night when he would be kneeling down to pray and he would be arrested and executed, he took time before those events happened because he knew they were going to unfold to invest his faith in the lives of his disciples. He moved outward with his faith. He took time to speak words of faith and encouragement to his disciples because although they didn't know what was coming, he did, and he wanted them to be able to, to have faith and, and to have hope in the midst of those dark times that were just hours ahead. And I want to share some of those words with you. And as I share those words with you, they're not just for the disciples then, but let them minister to your heart now. John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. John chapter 14, verses 18 and 19. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will not see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you will also live. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. And finally, John 16, 33. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Brothers and sisters, yes, we are facing extremely difficult times, uncertain about what the future days hold and what will might take place. But let us follow the way of our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, and take this moment to allow our faith to ripple outward from ourselves. Because as we realize, this may be a time that God is using strategically, and he wants to work through us to bring others to faith in Jesus Christ, to give them a hope and to give them a faith that will last beyond the grave. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you during these difficult days, let your faith move outward. Finally, the third and final idea I want to share with you about faith is this. 
that Christian faith in hard times stands firm. Christian faith in hard times stands firm. We now jump to chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians in the first eight verses we find that here in the text as Paul writes the letter. Let me share those words with you. Paul writes, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and to exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know, just as you now know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sit to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For we now live if you are standing fast in the Lord. As we hear in this, we hear that pastoral tender care as Paul is greatly concerned about the faith of these new believers that he had to leave behind unwillingly. And the questions that are probably rolling or were rolling through uh, Pastor Paul's mind at that time was, had these difficult circumstances in some way caused these new believers to abandon their faith in God? Was the tempter here, as he has referenced earlier, Satan, who had blocked him from getting back at least his way, he understand the events, was the tempter successful by applying pressure? Uh, he's the one that, that Paul sees behind the, the, the suffering that's happening. Applied enough pressure to these new believers so that they would give up faith uh, in Jesus Christ. And so it's with immense pastoral concern that Paul sends Timothy to check on their faith, how is their faith doing, and to encourage them in their faith because he knows that they're facing hardships in life. Now, these hardships are, are happening in the believers' lives because of the way society was structured at that time. Unlike our current day, political, civic, uh, religious, and financial areas of life overlapped with one another. They were all intertwined. Religious affiliations affected societal relationships. The fact that the message that Paul proclaimed was proclaiming a, another king, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, instead of the Roman Empire. And he was proclaiming another kingdom and, and a, a new peace. And because of that new kingdom and new peace, it, it forbid those who had given faith and loyalty to Jesus to no longer be loyal to the emperor or to the, 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 the immoral social practices that, that characterized the, 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 the city's cultural operation. See, the city was loyal to and its officials to the empire, to the emperor, and all of the approved religious practices of the day. And because of that, they received certain tax benefits along with other benefits. And so those who became Christians became a threat because they were trying to move citizens away from adopting those religious practices that held them in good favor with Rome. So Christianity represented a threat to them functioning and receiving the benefits that they had received. But in the light of that, Timothy returns to Paul with good news. 
And what he tells Paul is that, Pastor Paul, those new believers you've left behind, they haven't thrown in the towel. They're still standing firm in their faith. They still have strong faith in God and the Lord Jesus. They're not wavering even though they're being pressed on all sides in all kinds of different ways because of their faith. And it's in response to this news that Paul says, in light of the fact that I hear that you're standing firm, continue to stand firm in your faith. Or as Dr. Fee comments here on this particular text, he says, it seems clear from this passage that initial faith counts very little if that faith does not endure through the thick and the, thin, and the thin. And in Paul writing to these believers as he's deeply concerned for them as a father is for his own children, we find out something about their early training of disciples and what was some of their early teaching that was passed down to disciples when they first came to faith. Remember, Paul was only there maybe a month or so or, or maybe six weeks where he was able to be with his believers, so it wasn't a long time. And what we find out is that one of the core doctrines that he starts off teaching the initial doctrines is the fact of suffering for the believer. Paul says, remember what I told you when I was with you, that because of the fact that you now place faith in Christ, more than likely your life is going to get harder, not easier. And what you ought to expect because of your faith in Christ is that you're going to suffer for being aligned with Jesus. And why is that the case? Because the values of the kingdom are not the same values of the world. And those who uh, embrace the values of the world will not like those who embrace the values of the kingdom. And so Paul says, I, I, I told you that when I was with you. So you ought not be surprised by the fact that your life is hard right now because that's the normal course of the Christian life. See, as, as one writer said many years ago, if we follow a Savior who, wear, who wore a crown of thorns, then why should we expect to wear a crown of roses? We also ought to expect to wear a crown of thorns. See, the expectation that's essential for Christian doctrine for all believers is this, that if you're going to live godly in this world, then you ought to expect that there are going to be difficult days ahead. And in light of that fact, of that truth about the gospel, then these times become just a training ground for the normal Christian life. And why is that the case? Because as the Apostle James tells us, hard times are not without purpose in God's agendas. Because trials are doing something for our faith. Remember what James said, he wrote these words. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. What James says here is that under God's loving, supervising care, that trials become like a gym workout for your faith so that on the other side of the trial, your faith is stronger. It's able to hold up more weight. It's able to run longer. Trials allow us to build up the muscles of our faith. The Cambridge Dictionary defines steadfastness in this way. It says the quality of staying the same for a long time and not changing quickly or unexpectedly. In his book titled How the West Won, The Neglected Story of the Triumph of Modernity by Rodney Stark, he explains how the Romans were able to develop a professional army that had been unseen before its time. One of the qualifications that made the Roman army so effective is that in their training of their soldiers was that they trained them to stand firm in their ranks despite the oncoming assault. 
They taught their, their soldiers not to run when they saw the battle pressing in on them, but to stand where they were together and to face the oncoming assault so that they could endure and win. And we know they were able to conquer the known world of that time because of the tactics that they've used. But just like the Roman army, Jesus calls his army, his followers, to stand firm in the midst of the oncoming assault of the difficulties in life. And we see this when, when he goes on in John chapter 16, verse 1, and, and, and explains why he's telling his disciples the things that I shared with you earlier. Jesus said this, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. And what I love about Jesus is that Jesus not only instructs, but he models the very thing that he instructs. Later that, that night, in, in just a few hours, he would go on to show what it looked like to endure, to, to stay firm in your faith as he endured all those things associated with his crucifixion and his death. Uh, at least that's what Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12 verse 2 says that Jesus endured the cross. He stayed firm in his faith in his father and his father's plan and did not waver but kept moving forward. Brothers and sisters, this encouragement to us is, is during difficult days, don't allow the hard circumstances of life to cause you to fall away from Jesus. Instead, the encouragement to us from this text is stand firm in your faith. Now, in the news recently, if you've been listening to the news and you've been following the broadcast, as my family and I have been doing, you've probably heard President Trump and others uh, characterize our time as something like a wartime scenario. I even heard recently that he uh, enforced the Defense Act. But he says, we're fighting an enemy, which I find uh, interesting for Christians. He says, the enemy that we're fighting is not a, a visible enemy. Uh, in this case, he's speaking about an invisible enemy here, the coronavirus. And I know we're all trying to do our part to help out with the, if you might be, use me, use that phrase, the war effort to fight this coronavirus, our invisible enemy, by obeying what the governor has asked us to do, by traveling only when necessary and, 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 and keeping a, a, a safe distance from others so as to not infect them and to spread the virus. But the text encourages that as believers, there's so much more that we can do. And that's what I've been sharing with you. Because of our faith, we can look up we can move outward and we can stand firm. Back in uh, World War II, Desmond Doss, if you remember, you saw the movie like I did about him. Uh, he, in World War II, he wanted to enlist to help the war effort of what was going on and what was happening in those days. And he wanted to get into the, to the service and become a combat medic. Combat medic. Uh, and due to his religious beliefs at the time, uh, he was a, a pacifist. And so he refused to carry a weapon or to kill another person. And this did not go well with those who were training to go off to war and fight. Uh, he, he didn't find favor with his commanding officer. He didn't find favor with those who were training alongside him. And so he endured ridicule and abuse at the hands of those who were training with him, seeing that his pacifist position was not a proper position in a time of war. Uh, but it was interesting the way the, uh, the events unfolded. He, he was unwilling to change his stance. And so he ended up, with, his unit ended up in, in one of the fiercest areas of battle at the time, Hacksaw Ridge in Okinawa, one of the most intense uh, series of, of battles that was, was being fought. And it so happened that, that under, the, uh, the, under the explosions, the loud explosions and the gunfire, him crawling back and forth, he ended up rescuing the lives of 75, 75 other soldiers, including his own captain. How did he do it? 
First of all, he looked up. He said, I was praying the whole time, and I just kept praying, Lord, help me get one more. Then he moved outwards. He went about the field of battle, finding those who had fallen in battle, and he would grab them, and he would slowly work their way, work them and himself back to the cliff. He would tie a rope around them and slowly let them down to safety so that they could be rescued and continue living. And then he stood firm. He had steadfastness in his activity. He didn't rescue just one life and say, well, I saved one person. Let me get down and save my own life. But over 12 long, grueling hours under uh, the constant threat of death, he went back again and again and again until he could make it no more, saving as many soldiers as he could. What Desmond Doss did during the time of World War II, we need to do now during this time in 2020. And that is that we as believers in Jesus Christ need to look up in our faith to God for our reassurance and, and the firm foundation of our fact that God has lovingly chose us as his people. And it means that we're not alone in the world, that we have a God, a Father who's in heaven, who cares about us and the situations we're facing. And then we need to allow our faith in the living and true God to ripple outwards to administer uh, encouragement to others. And we need to stand firm in the face of trials. Brothers and sisters, don't let your faith stay to yourself. Let it move out into the world around you. Please join me in prayer. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. And I do pray, Lord, that our faith, like the Thessalonians, would stand firm, that it would be upward focused, and that it would move outward to influence others around us. May others see our confidence in you during these difficult days and ask, who is this God that keeps you so stable under the constant threat? But you're not fearful, you're not afraid, but you're able to live. Doesn't mean you're, you're, you're negligent or um, acting in uh, frivolous ways, but Lord, we are not having this living in, in fear like others are. Uh, we are able to operate in a world that we know is under the sovereign care of a good God who loves us and has chosen us. We pray, God, that this would minister to the hearts of your people. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.